Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Psalm 32, page 560. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the ways that you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. And then the second reading in the New Testament is Romans chapter 4 on page 1131. Page 1131, Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Good evening, everyone. Mark, thank you very much for reading to us. And uh, do turn back to that first reading from Psalm 32. It's on page 560 in the Pew Bibles, if you've just closed it. And on the back of our service sheet, you'll see on the final page a little summary of where we're going in the next few moments. You might find it helpful to have a pen in hand, take a few notes if that's going to help you. Um, as we go, but do keep your Bibles there in front of you at Psalm 32. 
A few months ago, I injured my knee quite badly. I didn't know what I'd done to it, but I knew I couldn't walk on it. It was very painful. And then I did the one thing you mustn't do in that circumstance. I went on the internet and um, I started doing some research. And I was amazed to find just how many ways you can injure your knee. And um, I was none the wiser, but certainly more scared. And then I did the one thing I should have done in the first place. I went to the doctor and I had a proper diagnosis. They, they found out what was wrong. They uh, put together a plan of treatments and uh, all is well today, thanks to uh, the expert. Now, look, it's an obvious point, but we know how it works. When something is wrong with us physically, the most sensible thing is to go to the expert, the one who understands how we work physically, and they are the ones who are best placed to help us. And what is true with our physical health is also true with our spiritual help. But I wonder tonight uh, where we go to find the expert care we need to understand our, our physical well-being, our physical health. Uh, many people in this world, I guess, never really think about their spiritual health. They prefer instead to believe the adverts which claim that if we buy the, the new car or the house or the latest gadget or if we're in a particular relationship, then somehow our lives will be whole and work out well. And if we do stop to think about our spiritual health, what's going on inside of us, many people don't get past the internet in their searching, social media, whatever the world says about what's happening inside of us. Tonight, I wonder where we go to find out the condition of our soul, to understand our spiritual health. Tonight, Psalm 32, we have before us God's assessment of our spiritual health. Uh, he speaks to us through David, the king, who is like a doctor, a, a different kind of doctor, not a doctor for our physical body, but a, a doctor for our soul, who can uh, show us the state of our spiritual health to diagnose what's going on and to prescribe a, a treatment to make us whole. The great theologian Augustine when he was sick in bed and indeed about to die, he asked to have the words of Psalm 32 painted on the wall next to his bed. And as his physical body wasted away, he fed his soul on the words before us tonight. And as he slipped away physically, so his spiritual life was alive and well. And that can be our experience tonight. No matter what our circumstances in life Physically, practically, these words are here to help us be alive, healthy, well, spiritually. And whether we are new to Christian things or we've been a Christian for many decades, come and listen to our spiritual diagnosis as well as the cure that we all need. On the handout, you'll see our first heading is this, the joy of being forgiven. Look at verse one. David writes, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. We don't use the word blessed very often in our common speech. The word basically means happy, joyful. The one who realizes that life is exactly how it's meant to be, everything in its right place, all is well in the world. 
And Paul says the blessed person, the truly happy, the truly joyful person is not the person with the bulging bank account or straight A's in the exams or lots of likes on Facebook, but rather the one whose transgressions are forgiven. The basic implication here in verses one and two is that forgiveness is needed. David uses three different words to explain why. The first is there in verse one. He talks about transgressions. There's a story in the news this week about a number of uh, teenagers who got onto a level crossing on a train line and posed lounging around on the level crossing, kind of, and they posted their pictures on Instagram to show off how, I don't know, rebellious they were. And um, it was a crazy thing to do, because on that very train line, trains would whiz by at 70 miles an hour, right at that point on the level crossing, yet here they were lounging around taking photographs of themselves. It, fortunately, they, they were safe in the end, they, they got away in time. But they ignored all the signs, there were warnings all around saying, keep out, beware, high-speed trains. They saw all the signs. They ignored all the signs. They crossed lines and boundaries to lounge around on the level crossing. The behavior of those kids is what the word transgressions is about. Willfully choosing to cross a line we should not cross. And as much as we might get worked up about a bunch of kids on a level crossing... David is clear in Psalm 32 that we have all done far worse. For we have crossed lines we should not have crossed, not some warning signs at a level crossing, but God's lines, God's warnings to us. We've willfully, knowingly ignored them. We've done our own thing. Think of David, very likely he penned this psalm after he committed an affair with someone not his wife, Bathsheba. You might know the story. And then after having the affair, he then murdered Bathsheba's husband to cover his tracks. And those two actions, the affair and the murder, are both moments when David clearly crossed a line, God's line, things that should not have been done. And in doing so, he became a transgressor, a person in, well, incredible danger. And even if we haven't crossed God's line at just the point David crossed the line, who here tonight can claim they have never crossed God's line, God's standards? We may not have committed an affair with someone, but who here has not lusted in their hearts? Maybe not murder, but what about anger when someone cuts us up at the lights? Our envy of others? our reliance on money to bring us security, our our lies about our our life, our, our boasting to make ourselves look better. Each of these things are against God's ways. They, they, they cross his line. That's our first word, transgressions. Then verse one, David continues. He talks about sins being covered. It's a different word. If transgressions are an act of rebellion, the sin word is a failure to do the things that we were meant to do. It's a falling short of a standard. So imagine a married couple and the husband thinks, I want to be a good husband. And so he, he does not have an affair with another woman. And he thinks, I've done enough. I've now been a good husband. But imagine then if he never spoke to his wife at all. Imagine if you were to glance at his diary and saw it 
pack full of activities that he liked to do that did not include his wife. Imagine if there were no flowers or no notes, no acts of kindness, no expressions of love. Has that husband been a good husband? You see, it's not enough just to not have had an affair. He's called to do more than that, to actively love his wife, do you see? And that's the sense of the sin word here in verse one. It's not enough just to think about avoiding transgressions. God calls us to live up to a standard. In particular, he says to us that we are to love him with everything. Our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our souls, our spirits. And we are to love our neighbor just as we love ourselves. And again, who here tonight can say that we have loved to that standard? That's the sin word. Now that we might be here tonight saying, okay, yes, I can think of times when I've transgressed. There's been a blip here, a blip there. I can think of times when I've failed to do what I should have done. Yes, there's been the odd slip up there. But, but come on, Pete, by and large, I'm one of the good guys. The odd mistake, but, but I'm not that bad. And that's where our final word comes in. In verse two, David talks again about um, a blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. That sin word is a different word from verse one. It's the old-fashioned word, iniquity. You might have heard used. Think of a shopping trolley that's got a wonky wheel. And no matter how hard you try to push it forward down the aisle, it just veers off left into the display of sparkling wine or whatever it is. It just... It veers on its own. That's how it works. And so too the human heart. We have an inbuilt bias. That means that we always veer away from the life we should live. And so the mistakes we make, the transgressions, the the sins, they're not just blips, one-off mistakes. They they are us. That is what our hearts are like. And so taken together, these three words, the transgression word, the sin word, and the iniquity word, together they paint a picture of the problem of the human heart. The problem, David would say, faces each one of us. I wonder if you noticed as we prayed that confession earlier on tonight, we mentioned all three words, our transgressions, our iniquities, our sins. And those are three good words to have in our minds thinking about the state of our hearts. Well, that's the bad news tonight, the the diagnosis of the human heart. Then come and rejoice in the good news. For the person in whom there is no deceit, says David, that is the one who does not try to cover up how they've failed, there is forgiveness. Our mistakes are not counted against us. And David is He's overjoyed. At this point in his life, David is probably a a powerful king over a great nation. He has a a glorious palace, a large army, and people respect him and come and worship him as a great king. And yet David says, the truly blessed one, the truly happy, the truly joyful one is not the one with a big palace or a great kingdom. It's the one who's been forgiven. I guess the psalm could have ended there. David has diagnosed the human heart and he's provided the cure. We have sins. There's great joy in being forgiven. 
but he continues because I think he anticipates a response. The response goes something like this. What's the big deal with being forgiven? Is it really the key to true happiness and joy? I'd rather have a bulging bank account or the straight A's. And so David continues. The joy of being forgiven, next on the handouts, it means life in the present. Look at verse three. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. We don't know why David kept quiet. Maybe he was in denial about the sin that he had committed. That was the case with Bathsheba. Maybe he was scared of what would happen if he owned up. Maybe he just didn't care what God thought. Whatever the reason, his plan is a plan every person in this world has tried at some point. He keeps quiet about what he's done. But the plan doesn't work. David groans. He, he, he wastes away. This may be a literal description of, of, his, of his failing health. And at times in the Bible, there is a link made between a particular sin that we've committed and failing health at times. Not often, just occasionally. And it is, I guess, good for us to ask ourselves the question, if we are ill, is there something I've done I haven't repented of? But very often in the Bible, we're told that there isn't a link. Be very careful about drawing such a link. Many people who are innocent suffer terrible things. I think rather probably the picture here is, is just his emotional turmoil. He knows what he's done. And the guilt of it is just wearing him down. He's exhausted by it. You can imagine David after the affair with Bathsheba. He thought he'd got away with it. No one knows. A night of fun with no consequences. But then the days later, the sleepless nights came, the the gnawing guilt, the the, the fear of what would happen next. A few years ago, the English rugby player, Matt Stevens, was tested positive for cocaine. It was clearly a banned substance by his rugby club. Uh, He was caught, he was was banned for a number of years. It was a huge shock to his club, to his playmates, to um, his friends, his family. He was deeply ashamed. It was a terrible time in his life. And yet some years later, as he was being interviewed about that whole season in his life, he said something really shocking. He said, in a way, when, when he was caught, when he failed the test, he was relieved to have finally been caught. You see, he said for years he'd been living his double life. There was this terrible problem at the center of his life and he'd been trying to keep it quiet. He was worried that people would catch him. He was worried about the consequences. What would happen when he was found out? And then when the moment came, it was like a relief. It was all out in the open. And that was David's experience in verse three. But more than that, there was a particular reason why sin leads to groaning and weariness. Look at verse four. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. There is a truth here in the experience of David that we ignore at our peril. God will not leave us alone 
in our unrepentant sin. His hand will be on us. Which means there's, there's a reason why the affair which promised so much fun and life always ends up leaving us groaning and in despair in the end. There's a reason why lying on our tax return forms, whilst it might seem like the sensible thing at the time, always leaves us wasting away. There's a reason why a self-centered life, where we live for ourselves, not for others, there's a reason why that life never works and it brings despair, not joy. And the reason is the Lord himself. His hand is heavy on those who ignore their sin. But then look at verse five. David says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. When I was at school, I uh, rather foolishly joined the Mountaineering Society. This is up in Scotland. And uh, I remember I had no idea about walking in the mountains, but um, I went on my first all-day walk with the the sort of more seasoned walkers, and um, I didn't know what to bring for the walk in my rucksack, and so I packed everything, almost including the kitchen sink. I I packed several thermos flasks of hot soup in case it was cold, and lots of spare water. I I brought enough food for a whole week and clothing to clothe all the tea that were with me, and I had this massive, bulging rucksack. It was huge. And I turned up at the minibus and realized I'd perhaps overdone it slightly, looking at everyone else in the walk. And then 10 minutes into the, the climb up the mountain, I realized I had terribly misjudged it. As I labored under this massive rucksack, I, I dropped the back of the group and they were leaving me behind. And I thought, I've had it. It's a huge Monroe climb. And um, the point is, I, I should not have been walking with such a burden. It was too much for me to carry it. I'd got it wrong. And I was only saved in that moment because the, the weather came down and closed in. We had to turn back after about an hour and I was uh, rescued from sort of a six-hour plod. But we look at David here in Psalm 32, trying for a season to carry the burden of his sin and it's just too much for him. He staggers under the weight. He groans. You see, humanity, we were not designed to carry our sin. It's too heavy for us. It wastes our life. But then in verse five, the word for forgive means to carry. When David confessed his sin and was honest about his guilt before the Lord, It's as if the Lord came down and and cut away the straps around the rucksack of the burden of the sin on David's back. And the Lord just lifted off the straps and he lifted up the rucksack and said, "I'll, I'll carry that. That's enough now of that burden. And more than that, he didn't just take it off David. The Lord carried it himself. For he alone is able to carry that burden. And many years later, David's great son, the Lord Jesus, who himself lived a perfect life, no transgressions, no sin, no iniquity, died on the cross, carrying the burden of our sin. It's as if our sins were debited to his account, counted against him, not us. He carried them in our place. 
But more than that, in exchange, as we are freed from the burden of our sin, it's as if he took his perfect life, his righteousness, and he gave it to us. It was debited to our account. And so we are, though not perfect, we are viewed as those who've always done what is always right before the Lord. In our second reading from Romans 4, Paul quotes from Psalm 32. He rejoices in the forgiveness that David discovers, but he's very clear that forgiveness, being righteous, is a free gift that we cannot earn. It's not a wage that we somehow accrue. All we have to do, says Paul, says David, is to believe and trust in the death of Jesus in our place, and then the burden is taken off us. Our sin is carried and covered by the Lord Jesus. And so, what's the big deal with confessing sin? Why, why can David say it's, it's the key to a happy life? Well, he'd say to us, it means life now in the present. Either we carry our sin and we groan now in the present, or we let the Lord lift it off of us and carry it for us, and we are free, and we are alive. To confess our sins now might feel like the end of the world, but in fact, it is just the beginning of life. The joy of forgiveness, it means life now, but, but next, you'll see in our handout, our third point is this. It means deliverance in the future. Look at verse six. David says, therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. Often in the Bible, this image of mighty waters rising up is a picture of God's judgment. Think of Noah's ark and the waters that filled the earth in God's judgment. And David urges his listeners, us here tonight, to pray now, that is to repent now, while God can still be found, before the waters rise, before judgment comes on the world. And if we do pray now, before it is too late, verse seven, God will protect us from trouble and surround us with songs of deliverance. The joy of being forgiven, it means deliverance in the future. Some of you will know the story of Horatio Spafford in 1873. He said goodbye to his wife and four children as they prepared to sail across the Atlantic. The ship that they were sailing on was in a collision with another ship and it sank tragically, quickly. Spafford's wife was saved and she sent this now famous telegram containing just two words. She said, saved alone. His four daughters drowned with the ship. Shortly after the tragedy, Stafford himself sailed past where the sinking occurred and he was moved to write the words of the famous hymn, It is well with my soul. And we might think, how can he possibly say it is well with my soul when he's faced with such tragedy in front of him? Well, hear the words that he penned. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, 
praise the Lord, O my soul. And because he knew his sins were forgiven, and I take it also the sins of his dear daughters, he continued in his hymn, the sky, not the grave, is our goal. And that kind of confidence is very much at home in Psalm 32. The mighty waters will rise. Judgment will come. But Spafford knew that there is life beyond the grave for those he loved and for himself. A life beyond judgment because there is a carrying of the sin by the Lord Jesus. Denying our sin might seem to work in the short term. We, we might even laugh at David's description of a wasting life in verses three and four, but what about that moment in the future when the Lord returns, the judge of all humanity, and we stand before him then? Then when, where will our hope be? If we are caught still carrying our burden of sin, well, we have no hope, says David. The joy of being forgiven, it means deliverance, in the future. And finally, as we finish, David would say to us, so be wise. Be wise. Look at verse eight. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. And then here comes the counsel from David. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. I don't know much about horses or, or horse riding. I've, I've never done it, really. But uh, I understand that the way to get a horse to move forward is you don't sit on the horse and say, dear Mr. Horse, I would very much like to get over there, please. So if you don't mind, would you mind just moving forward? I, I think that's not how you direct a horse because a horse has no understanding. You have to use a, a bit in bridle to, to force a horse where you want it to go. And David says to us tonight, you're not a horse, you, you, you have understanding, you're, you're able to comprehend the logic of what I'm saying, and so don't make me force you, I can't force you to confess your sins. You have to choose to do it, but, but do it based on your understanding. Work it out, think through the implications. True life, happiness, joy, it's only found in, in letting go of the burden of our sin confessing it and then accepting the forgiveness we have in Christ. It's an easy thing to understand. The logic is simple and so, and so choose wisely, David would say to us. The psalm finishes with a very stark set of choices. We can be like the wicked who refuse to acknowledge their sin and so experience great woe or we can be the person who trusts in the Lord and goes home singing, surrounded by God's love as we repent and ask for forgiveness. And so David says to us, be wise, understand what's at stake. There may be some here tonight who have never acknowledged before the Lord our own personal sin. Maybe we're new to Christian things, maybe we just popped in tonight. It's brilliant to have you here if that is the case. I'm so glad you came. But can I urge you to consider carefully the words of David? 
True life, true happiness is not found in denying our sin problem, but in being honest about it. And even tonight, there can be a lifting of that burden. You only need to cry out to the Lord and ask for his help, cling on to the cross. I would love to chat to you afterwards if you want to find out more. But please consider carefully the wisdom of David. There will be others here tonight who have strayed terribly. I've been involved in pastoral ministry long enough to know that behind all the smiles and the I'm doing fine thank yous that we produce on a Sunday, uh, there can often be a a story of of deep pain, a, a straying that we know we've got wrong. And when that happens, the last thing we want to do so often is to tell anyone about it, least of all God. Perhaps we think we've gone too far because we've done it so often or because it's so serious or perhaps both. Perhaps we're scared of the reaction we might receive from someone who we tell. Perhaps we're scared of the Lord that he might say enough is enough. But for whatever reason, it's so often the case that we, the last thing we want to do is, is to own it. But can I lift your burden off you tonight? Well, actually, not me, but can I offer you the Lord's lifting of that burden We're not meant to carry it. We cannot carry it. But Christ died to carry it. And so whatever you've done, how often you've done it, no one is beyond the forgiveness of the Lord. And finally, for all of us, repentance is to be part of our regular daily lives. It's my experience that the longer I've been a Christian, the harder and the slower I have been in, and, and have found the act of repentance. I start to believe my own PR, that I'm, I'm a good person, I'm progressing well, and so I, I stop thinking carefully through the day that's gone and before the Lord weighing up my heart. And Christian, if you've got out of the way of, of daily, uh, urgent, thoughtful um, contemplation of your hearts, can I commend Psalm 32 to you again as the way of life? and of happiness and of joy. Not for the, only the first moment of conversion, but for every moment of our Christian lives. May we be a people who keep short accounts with the Lord, constantly lifting the burden of our sin off our shoulders and onto Christ. Let me pray. My sin... Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And Father, we thank you that there is a lifting of our burden. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, for the forgiveness he brings. Help us. To be honest with you tonight, Father, we pray, not out of fear, but rather confidence that there is forgiveness for those who turn to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.